0: In of Today, Israel has almost 9 million citizens. In the 50s, Ben Gurion made a committee how to handle a committee of economists, how to fi- handle the coming of the second million Jews to Israel. One of the committee members was a, na- a man with the name Moshe Mendelbaum, And he tells in his memoirs, he tells a story, he tells that Ben Gurion asked him, you really think we'll be able to make it? Israel was so poor. It was broke. And they were receiving um, refugees who came from all over. And uh, new immigrants, and they couldn't afford it. This Moshe Mandelbaum was a man who studied economy in Israel. At that time, in the 50s, economy in Israel was not the hot topic. Everybody was busy with, with army and wars. And he got his bachelor's degree, and what he, could, he wanted to become a doctor to get a PhD, but he got married, and he couldn't afford it. In the early 60s, he reads an, he reads an article in the newspaper that the US State Department made a special program to bring economy students from all, from all developing countries, one from each developing country, bring them to America, teach them how to, teach them economy, and they should go back to the countries and help to uh, save their economies. That Israel was one of the countries that they wanted, they were ready to sponsor one, one person, one student, to come to study in the United States. That he applied for it. There Two, were 200 applications. And he was selected. Years later, he met one of the selection committee and he asked him, why you chose me? And he told them something very interesting. He told them, you know, every one of the other applicants who came to, came to convince us and to show us how much knowledge they have, you said, I know nothing, I need to learn so much more. I want to learn, I want to go to find out how we really do it. This is the guy we want, somebody wants to learn, not somebody who thinks he knows everything. He came to America, he came to Vanderbilt, Uh, Vanderbilt, Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt. thank you, Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt University in Nashville, Tennessee, and he came already with his wife and a baby. And he started to study. And he says they were the best from every country. He says later this group of people, many of them became Nobel Prize winners, vice president of the United States, and governors of um, uh, country banks, all the movers and shakers of the world economy. And he said it helped them later in, in life and created for him such connections in all over the world when it came to to economy. He was there, he was a religious, orthodox Jew, he looked for a synagogue. There was a Chabad Rabbi there. His name was Rabbi Zalman Posner in the 60s. He was from the very early Chabad rabbis on campuses. Before long, Rabbi Rabbi Posner made his wife to teach in the day school, in the Chabad day school, and he was leading the services on the holidays and put him to work. A few years later, he finished his studies. He went back to Israel, and to get his PhD, he had to write a dissertation, a thesis, and to give it to the to the committee before they give him the PhD. And he had to come back to America to defend his thesis in front of a committee of six professors. Is arriving in 1968, he left his family. He's already a big family with a job in Israel, just to come to appear in front of the committee to defend his thesis and to go to get his PhD. And the committee is supposed to convene, and they don't convene. Every day is another excuse. He finds out what's the problem. There is one Jewish professor who is against Israel. Before 1967 war, there was a letter signed by 600 professors from, from Nashville or from other places to support Israel. The only one who didn't sign was this guy. And he doesn't want to convene, and he cannot do anything. And he taught, he taught, he's thinking to himself, even if he will convene, if this guy will speak against me, he can ruin everything. He didn't know what to do. He talks to Rabbi Posner, his rabbi, and he tells him, you know what, I think you have to go to the rabbi to ask for a, brochen, for a blessing. Go to the Lubavitcher Rebbe. He travels to New York. Rabbi Posner arranged them an appointment by the Rebbe. He comes into the Rebbe and tells the Rebbe the story. He's a student from Israel. He wrote a thesis about... And, he, and the guy doesn't want to give him. The Rebbe tells him, Tell me, what's your dissertation about? What this is thesis about? Tell me. He says it's about the Israeli economy. How to save the Israeli economy. He says the biggest problem in Israel is the interest rates are very high. If we want to attract big companies, we have to give them low interest. I mean, loans with very low interest and also a tax credits. The Rebbe stops them right there and told them it's a mistake. You you, you're wrongly tell them. Why? He says, low interest uh, loans, they can get everywhere. These big companies have good connections with the banks. They don't need Israel. and don't need the government for it. You have to go the extra mile. You have to give them grants, you have to give him money to entice them to come to Israel. He says when he heard that, it was like a flash light up in his head. And the Rabbi told him, make sure you put it in your your work, in your dissertation. He included it in his dissertation. He comes back to Tennessee. Oh, the second thing the Rabbi told them, says don't build too much on manufacturing. you were were planning to make a lot of manufacturing in Israel. The Rebbe said, the Jews are good with the brains. Make Make the brain power the main power of Israel. What is today so big? In 1968, the Rebbe told him that. The man is still alive. He was interviewed in a newspaper this week. That's why I know the story then the Rebbe told, told the Rebbe, no, will, the government will throw money on many startup companies, and they will, they will waste the money for nothing. The Rebbe said, Hashem protects the land of Israel. He'll walk out. Before he leaves, he asked the Rebbe, what's going to be with the, with the professor? The Rebbe says, go above. He left, he comes back to Tennessee. They're not convening, it's another day and another day. Then he talks to his brother, his brother told him, the Rabbi didn't mean, he taught the Rebbe, mean meant go, go above means pray to God. He says, go above the professor, go to the dean. Complain to him. Said, it was a huge risk if a student complains to the dean above uh, the, pro- complaints about the professor in the acad- academia, it's not so accepted. He had no choice, he went to the dean, he didn't hear the story. He turns to his secretary, he tells him tomorrow morning, eight o'clock in the morning, the, the whole committee is convening in my office, and if this guy will not show up, he will be fired on the spot and we will continue without him. That's exactly what happened. Next morning, the guy didn't show up. They convened, they listened to him. In 15 minutes, they loved this, his uh, thesis and they told him, and they, they pronounced him a uh, doctor on the spot, given the PhD. <laughs> he sent a telegram to his wife, Professor Moshe Mandelbaum. <laughs> 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 he came to Israel he promoted the Rebbe's idea, he pushed the Knesset members to make a special law that you can give grants to companies who come from outside of the country, and he said this idea of the Rebbe brought billions and billions of dollars to Israel. And, he said it, and then he was later the governor of the Israeli bank in the 80s when it was, if you remember, it was a huge inflation in Israel, it was a disaster. And what happened is the Likud, the right wing, came to power, but they didn't know what out on a country. It's one thing to scream in the, in the streets. It's another thing. And they spend a lot of money in the inflation. I remember as a child, inflation was terrible. It was a disaster. And they asked for Moshe Mendelbaum to come, to become the governor of the bank, and he stopped the inflation. And he says, later, when he retired, Belarus turned to him for advice, hired him. And he says, the Rebbe's advice was good for Belarus, too. They did the same idea, and they're giving grant to companies who come to invest them. And they brought a lot of money there, and and, and stabilized the economy there too. There is five parashas in the Torah with names of people, named after people. What are the five? Jethro. the first one? Jethro. Jethro. Korach. two. Kekas. Pinchas, three. Balak. Balak Balak, four. One more. <laughs> one more. Noah. 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 Right? Yeah. Noah, the first one. <laughs> Noah was, God says about him, it's written in the Bible, a righteous man. Makes sense. He's, the the Persian is named Sanano. Jethro defended the Jewish people converted to Judaism, had a son-in-law like Moses. Sure, he should get a partial. Korach was a Jew. He made a mistake, but his his desires were commendable. I mean, what he wanted to be a Kohen is not a bad thing. The way he went around it was not so smart. But it was, Korach was the first cousin of Moses. wasn't a schlepper. Pinchas? Pinchas stopped the plague of the Jewish people, stood up, risked his life, and stopped the plague. But Balak, the Pasha of this week, Balak was uh, an enemy of the Jewish people, wanted to destroy the Jews. We right, name a Pasha and his name. Somebody asked me this week, at least should be Bilam, at least a prophet of the Gentile. Bilam was not a big Tzadik either, but Balak, why should the Torah give him the privilege to have a name, a person named after him? The Rebbe says something very interesting. Balak is not just a name of a person. Balak, the word Balak has a meaning. You see, in Hebrew, every name usually has a meaning. In English, names do not have to have a meaning. If they have a meaning, it's nice, but they do not have to have a meaning. It took me a long time to get used to it. In Hebrew, every name has a meaning. Avraham, the father of all nations. Isaac, Isaac, means joy, laughter. Jacob means the hill. Moses means to take him out from the water. Every name has a meaning. In English, that's in Hebrew. Balak has a meaning. You know what Balak means? Bulka, Mabulka. Sounds strange, right? What's Bulka, Mabulka means? It's on the book of Nahum. I say it in English? Nahum. Chapter 2, verse 11. It's called Bulka Mabulka. It's written. What does this mean? You ever heard the word in Yiddish, in Ibu Balagan? Mm-hmm. You know what a Balagan means? A mess. <laughs> upside down. Everything is upside down. Desolation. Chaos. That's what the Bulka Mabulka means. Chaos. Sometimes from chaos, sometimes from upside down, from things that, take, that go upside down, comes out the best things. The story of this Parsha is exactly this. Balak is commissioning a prophet to come to curse the Jewish people. Something unheard of, a prophet has the powers from God. Goes this prophet and uses his, wants to use his powers to, cho- to curse the, the chosen people. What, what, what comes out of it? The most beautiful blessings over the Jewish people that were ever said. If a Jew would say it, he would blush. The Gentile prophet said the nicest compliment about the Jewish people. The dwelling of the Jewish people are among these. The nicest things. You, you, a nation will dwell alone. The nicest blessings, the nicest compliment about the Jewish people. Sometimes, from a mess, if you want to change the order of the world, you have to go in an unconventional way. Why was how it came up the old idea of commissioning a gentile prophet to curse the Jewish people? How did came out that the Moabite came up with this idea? As she says the Moabite sent messengers to the Midianites. Right, they came together. You know, the Moabites and the Midianites were, were enemies. They made peace because they were both afraid of the Jews. Then Rashi says from the Talmud, the Moabites said, nothing works with the Jews. They win every war against the Egyptians. They killed the two giants, Sihon and Og. The conventional way doesn't work with them. Let's find out. You know, Moses, the leader, grew up in Midian. For four years he was in Midian. Let's find out by the elders of Midian, what's his secret? That they sent a delegation to Midian to find out, tell me, what is Moses' secret? What's the secret of the success? They told them Moses, his power is in his mouth. He's a prophet. He speaks to God. He prays to God. He says the, 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 the sea will split, and it's splitting. He says, uh, koach will be swallowed, swallowed. He doesn't know anything with Zen. they said, you know what? We'll go, we'll, we'll, we'll adapt their techniques. We'll also hire a prophet. We'll go their way. What Balak did is, he took the, he was, he was not, he didn't wait, wait he uh, didn't uh, try the conventional way. he tried something different. And sometimes to, shake up things you have to do the uh, god unconventionally you have to do an upside down you have to make chaos to create a new reality in jewish life sometimes you have to do it too and that's what actually when 50 years ago 70 years ago when the rabbi tried to do outreach he tried to do things he saw that the jewish people is, is losing their identity as jews and more and more assimilated he tried to do things that people didn't like to hear like uh, then going with the mitzvah mobiles, middle of the street, and asking people to put on film, it was not so, it was not so accepted. Even as Hasidim, every time the rabbi came up with a new idea, it was everybody was like, like this. And took weeks and months to chew it through, and to learn how to do it, and to make it a reality. But sometimes to, do, to achieve big goals, you have to go the unconventional way. And that's what we learned from Balak. That's why the name of Balak, of the parsha is not just the name of a person. It's the name of a message of chaos, because sometimes from chaos good things come out.